Hi, I'm Jim Juno, and this is Lights, Camera, Author. Each week, I talk to those who write books about movies, television, and Hollywood in general here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM. Even before the creation of Mickey Mouse, Walt Disney established a reputation as a technical leader in Hollywood and frequently relied on the counsel, expertise, ingenuity, and creativity of a kindred spirit, a lifelong friend, and a fellow virtuoso in Ub Iwerks. Up until now, Ub and his many technical inventions and techniques have been largely unknown by the general public. His illustrious career consisted of dozens of innovative contributions, large and small, to both animated and live-action motion pictures, as well as the fields of optics, film processes, and special effects. He was also the major force behind the design of special cameras and projectors, electronics, and audio from theme park projects and much more. Don Iwerks followed his father, Ub, to the Walt Disney Studios in 1950. There, among many leadership roles and accomplishments, Don developed cameras, projectors, and other technical systems, many of which are still used in Disney parks around the world today. He talked with me about his new book, Walt Disney's Ultimate Inventor, The Genius of Ub Iwerks. Hello, Don. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Great, great. Now your book, your book, Walt Disney's Ultimate Inventor, Inventor, the uh, the genius of of iWorks. This basically is telling the reader not just his relationship with Disney, but also all the technical achievements that he invented or that he that he uh, came upon during his career. Isn't that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's not too much uh, in the book spent about the the. Uh, very early days that have been already well written. Uh, I've got one chapter of those early days, but but I had the opportunity to work with my dad for 18 years at the studio because I was uh, for 20 years head of the machine shop, and uh, we were building all of his inventions. So uh, I was able to work very closely with him, and uh, it occurred to me uh, along the line that. Uh, his his inventions are so unique and so significant that uh, a book needs to be written. And I asked him several times, uh, Dad, what you ought to be writing a book. And he, his response was, well, I haven't got time to write a book. I've got too many other things I want to do. So uh, his <laughs> book didn't get written until I decided I better do it. So with the help of edition, Disney editions, uh, uh, we finally got the ball to the goal line, and, and it's out uh, tomorrow, December 10th. It'll be in bookstores. Fantastic. And now, you do mention yeah, there is one there is one chapter where you do delve into how he and Walt Disney in Kansas City opened their first studio. Yes, right. And, well, I don't spend much time on that because right. it's already been written up uh, – uh, many, many, many times about how they started out. And, and that wasn't the focus of my book. The right. focus of my book was to talk about things that he did that I was aware of. 
that yeah. I could uh, allude to personally. Right, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I did want to ask just one question that you know I didn't I was not aware that your that your father left Disney and then returned. That was yes. that was something which surprised me because it looked like it didn't affect the relationship at all. Uh, I did well. Obviously, Walt wasn't very happy about that, but uh, they uh, around 1929, 1930, uh, they were beginning to have some artistic uh, differences of opinion, and my dad decided maybe this wasn't going to change, so uh, he started his own studio, the Albi Works Studio, 1930. But during the period from 1930 till 1940, those ten years, uh, he produced uh, roughly a hundred cartoons, and. Uh, but it, his his whole interest in that was beginning to wane somewhat, and uh, so he decided to close up his studio, mm-hmm. and because he he had been doing some contract work as well, and at, at any rate he closed up his studio. Uh, a uh, mutual friend of Walt and my dad, a man by the name of Ben Sharpstein, who was a director at the studio, uh, mentioned to Walt that uh, uh, he that he had heard that Abu was closing up his studio and would you be open to having him back? And Walt says, sure, yeah, why don't you set up a meeting? So he did. And they had a meeting, Ub came to the studio and they, they had a very cordial meeting about it all and uh, Walt's directive to him was uh, uh, just jump in and see where you can help us. Uh, that was that was the extent of it. Then he reported only to Walt in the chain of command. There, he it was Walt that he would report to. But he wasn't animating anymore. He was looking into solving technical problems. So I like how you said that. Uh, like Walt Disney would walk into his office and say, "I've got this idea," or yeah. or something along those lines. And it was up to yeah. up to your father to to actually make it into reality. Right. That's right. Yeah. Walt could ask him, what do you think about this? Do you think it's possible? And he, uh, my dad say, well, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, I think so. I'll look into it. I'll, I think it could be done. And Walt would say simply, why don't you look into it? Which he does. And then uh, in some short time later, he's back to Walt and says, yeah, I, I, it can be done. And uh, this is how it would be done. And Walt typically would give him the okay to go. One of the things that struck me was that your father not only was able to, well, he improved upon things because I remember the first time that the animation uh, came out, it was kind of jerky and, and the uh, the distributors did not want to use it until your father developed a better system. Uh-huh. I believe I believe that was uh, with uh, not Steamboat Willie, but with uh, with the, the cartoons that were pre- uh, prior to that. Uh, yeah, it was the very the very very early one. The music at the start of the show was the original motion picture recording of Zippity Doodah, sung by James Baskett in the 1946 film Song of the South, 
where Ub Iwerks first developed a process to intertwine live action with cartoon animation. You're listening to Light Camera Author, recorded in the Vineland Road Studios for WRIR 97.3 FM. And today we're talking with Don Iwerks about his book, Walt Disney's Ultimate Inventor, The Genius of Ub Iwerks. So, and it was your father who developed what, also the, uh, I mean, it looked like a lot of things that your father did originally, we would now, we would now do in, well, with computers, before, yes. before the time of computers, but with a Photoshop or, or a Premiere with the uh, matte, with the matte paintings or the, I call them the reverse mats where you, where you cut out the uh, person and you put the live person in with the, uh, with the animation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that was their early cartoons. The Alice comedies were done that way. But when he came back to the studio in 1940, uh, he had, he had worked up a, an improved way of being able to make those combination shots of animation and live action. And it would take a special optical printer to do it. He explained it all to Walt and, of course, Walt had an interest in in combination work like that, so he gave him the okay to get the printer built, which was built over in the machine shop, and uh, he went on from there. And and he was he was rather economical too. I mean, he was able to create ways of doing things that did not cost an arm and a leg. Right. Yeah. Well, that was always something that he had in mind. He wouldn't want to do it if it was going to be very, very expensive. But uh, that was just part of the combination of his of his creative thinking was to figure the simplest way to do it and the most cost-effective way that it could be done. And hopefully they were both the same. What invention was your father most proud of? Because you spend, you know, you spend like about 99% of the book talking about all the different inventions that he did. What was the one he was most proud of, though? Well, I've never ever heard him say which one he was the most proud of. Uh, the, the one that probably was the most meaningful was saving animation at the studio by implementing uh, the use of the Xerox process and what it took to do it. And, and he made some early tests with a, a machine that he purchased, uh, showed the test to Walt, who was uh, very pleased with it, and this was all a result of of uh, Roy Disney, Walt's brother, telling him in a conversation one day that, you know, animation is costing so much. We've got so much money tied up for so long, uh, and it's expensive. I'm going to recommend to Walt that we cease making cartoons, animated cartoons. Well... That kind of took my dad back a bit, and he thought, oh, boy, we can't do that. And, and Walt had always made the comment that I hope we never lose sight of the fact that this whole thing was started by a mouse. And <laughs> That's true, yes. Yeah, that was, that was essentially what, what his uh, comment was. Well, at any rate, my dad thought maybe Xerox would work, could replace the hand inking process. So his tests... Uh, uh, really proved that out. He showed him to Walt uh, and made a scene, a complete scene. Had it painted in, ink, in the ink and paint department, and photographed it, and 
showed him the result, and uh, Walt says, this sure looks good. So how, why don't you look into how you could implement that into our production system here? And he did that, came back with, uh, uh, with, to a, with an explanation of how that would work, and uh, Walt turned it on. He says, oh, it looks good to me. Let's do it. So from then on, uh, we built one, one uh, in, well, in one of the ink and paint corridors that used to be inkers and painters, uh, that got transformed into a Xerox copy room which consisted of three rooms, one where the uh, artwork would be and lights to illuminate the artwork. Then there was a wall in front of that, a lens mounted in the wall. And on the ins- that was a wall. And then that next room was, uh, was a dark room. And that's where the plates were exposed. So he had a Xerox plate. He put it on the back of the camera, make an exposure, then put the plate into a machine called a cascader that had uh, a black powder like in it. And the powder would cascade across the plate, adhering to the lines where the electrical charge remained. The plate would then move on into another room on a moving belt uh, into a light room where it is then transferred to a cell and fixed to the cell so it's uh, permanent. And then the plate is cleaned up and removed and uh, sent back on a moving belt back down to the camera to be used again. And that whole system employed uh, the girls that were being displaced, the inking girls that were displaced. Uh, they were trained to operate all of the functions of the camera. So really and, they didn't lose their, so they didn't lose their jobs over this. Yeah. So I say, so to to think to rank the importance of the things that he did, that that was very important because it saved animation. Otherwise, Walt might have had to concede to Roy that maybe live action is what we're going to have to do and they wouldn't be doing animation anymore. But he saved animation at the studio. And they made numerous more uh, animated films using the Xerox process. I can't imagine Disney, and looking back now, I can't imagine Disney not doing animation. No, I don't know anybody could. Walt might have still ruled the roost, so to speak, by just saying, well, we're going to do it anyway, even if it loses money. But uh, I, I don't think he would have done that. Right. But it, it was a tough thing for Roy to go to his brother and say, we've got to quit doing animation because it costs too much. Wow. Uh, yeah, now, I'll, I'll save the day for him. Was um, did Ub also did he create the live action reference? Because I know that you know you you mentioned in the book with Cinderella, and uh-huh. uh, like the um, they and they they if I can get the words out here, um, they used the live action uh, individuals, real people, uh, photographs of them to to show how a dress is flowing and how the uh, and how the movements are are smooth. Yes. Was your father? Yeah, well, yeah go ahead. No, I was just going to say I I can't say with certainty that he invented it, but it was a it would have been a pretty obvious thing way of doing it when you're dealing with uh, animation that would be extremely difficult to draw how how a gown would flow and that sort of thing so they would just they would dress up a, a, 
uh, live person and put, as you just explained, you put the dress on them and you run them through the sequence that they want to have in the in the film, and then they make blow up prints of it, the black and white prints that are the same size as the animation would be, and then to a degree they would use that as a reference. They wouldn't use it as exact as exact tracing but they could at least get the feel for where things moved uh and uh, but still taking liberties with it now your dad your dad also had a, a fine collection of automobiles too didn't he and and antique guns which surprised me in in the book uh well he that was one of his hobbies we didn't collect cars uh, he could only own one at a time one my my mother's car and his car, but but he he did love automobiles and that for a long time, particularly Jaguar cars, uh, he had a, a whole series of those. But he, but his 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 whole I don't know his whole being was one that that once he's done something or had something for a while, uh, he would tire of it and want to move on to something else. And, and if he accomplished something like the, the little story about bowling a 300 game, uh, well, I've done that. So why do I want to keep on bowling if I've already <laughs> done it? So, so I move on to something else. I've bowled a perfect game, and that's the way. That's the way I got a hole in one in golf. Hey, so I don't need to. Yeah. I don't need to do any more, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. That and that permeated his whole being. Is that he always wanted to move on to something new once he got accomplished it. Same with archery. I mean, he was an expert archer. Uh, in fact, at one point in time, uh, there was a commercial being made by an archer, a very famous archer by the name of Howard Hill. And they had some insert shots to do. And I guess Hill was not available. And I can recall as a kid, they came to our home the camera crew and set up target in the backyard and, and my dad doubled in for him and, and he was that good it seems like they, you're, go ahead i'm sorry go no, ahead. i was gonna say he used to tell another story too that is not in the book but uh when he had his own studio they would sometimes at noon over in beverly hills they'd go to an archery range nearby and one time he took a he put a blank uh, shell a, a shell for a, for a gun, uh, but with no bullet in it, just the thing that would explode, and put it in the target right behind the bullseye. And he <laughs> said, you know, you know, don't tell anybody. So this group of guys from the studio would uh, come over and they'd start shooting. And at some point, I guess he got up and picked up his bow and shot right dead center bull and pow, off went the shot. <laughs> and, uh, they love gags and things like to pull fun things on each other did he have a personal favorite movie that he worked on because he worked on, uh, he worked on all the great movies mary poppins cinderella snow white yeah the mary poppins he made that possible but but he de didn't actually work on the film uh, there was another man from the from our process lab that had done that. By that time, my dad had been uh, reassigned to a different kind of a job. He had had a heart attack, and uh, management and Walt kind of thought maybe 
maybe having the pressure of production schedules and all, we might it, what would be really good with call him director of research and development. So he moved into that, and that's that's pretty much where he worked. When Mary Poppins came along, the sodium traveling mat process that was used on that is that he's the one that was able to develop that at the studio. Uh, I should say improve upon it because he didn't invent it, but it was own. It was an invention by J. Arthur Rank in England, and they licensed the process to make the film. But he found improvements that he could make with it. And when it came time for Mary Poppins, uh, he he was be available as a technical uh, resource, but uh, he he wasn't involved with the production itself of it. I see. But okay. I don't know. I think I think he uh, one of the films he seemed to like a lot, but wasn't a Disney film. Was working with Hitchcock on on the Bird film. Oh, really? But, yeah, and Hitchcock, and I can't say it was a favorite because he never really expressed his favorites. He'd do one, he'd enjoy what he's doing, then he'd move on to the next one. But he wasn't one to say that was my favorite. But I could only guess that he had a good time on that one. And uh, Hitchcock, when he was getting ready to do it, I guess asked his people uh, or mentioned to them that he wanted the best uh, way to combine uh, live action and either props. It, was, it wasn't animation in that case. It was uh, like maybe mechanical birds or that sort of thing. Well, they made a deal, I guess, with the studio about the, about renting the sodium process, and that included uh, renting my dad as well. So he went <laughs> up to Bo- he went up to Bodega Bay with the crew and, and shot the scenes that were done up there where the, where the fire starts and the gasoline leaks from the car. and That's right. Starts. Yeah. Well, anyway. And the person's in uh, the, the person's in the uh, phone booth. And... Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And he, he, he oversaw all of that work and, and, you know, planned it with them. And uh, I, I think he had, I think he had a good time with that. It sounds like it sounds like he got along with a lot of different directors and a lot of different, well, a lot of different technicians. I mean, it was one of those. Yeah. So did he have? Yeah. So did he have a, yeah. a favorite person that he worked with? I'd say Walt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, he no, knew him, would, he knew him the longest. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he he enjoyed working with him and Walt the same way. I mean, I I allude to the fact that they. And I don't think I would get any uh, anybody disagreeing with me is that they were both geniuses, but each in their own sphere. Walt was a storyteller, and my dad was a technician, technical person, technical genius. Yes, and and that's that's really the aim of the book is to tell the make sure that he gets his due that that his his work and his contributions to the studio were enormous. As as you can see when you read through the book, there's one after the another after another, and, yes, and uh, all these famous ahead. movies that that was produced by Disney. Um, now we asked, I asked you if if your father had a favorite, but I'm going to ask you, do you have a favorite? Well, I've been asked that question. Uh, I, I I'm a Mary Poppins fan, uh, not necessarily because that had used the sodium process. 
but uh, I like the music. I like I just like the whole film. Light, uh, just fun a fun film. Did you see the new one, The Mary Poppins Returns? I have, yes. Yeah. I, well, it, it's just so different from the original. And I was I was on the studio a lot, even servicing the camera, uh, the Technicolor camera that was used for the sodium work. So, and on the stage, uh, fairly often, just not because I had to be, but just to go down and watch them. Uh, it, the new one didn't didn't equate to me like like the old one. But, yeah, it seems like it, yeah. I mean, that's often the case though. When I mean, how do you how do you follow a classic like the yeah. original? Yeah. Now, now after now now in December nineteen sixty seven, I believe is when Walt passed away. Uh, nineteen sixty six. Nineteen sixty six. Thank you. Um, yes. Um, yeah. How did how did your father's did it did it change his approach to work or did it did it change anything in the way he he did things? Well, he's he wasn't one to show his emotions. Uh, I I know he was uh, very saddened by the fact that Walt passed away uh, because Walt was the guy that he uh, I think he enjoyed pleasing Walt. That he could he could solve problems for Walt and Walt would he might have been one of the very few in the whole studio that got uh, praise from from Walt. Uh, and one case in point was when we developed he developed a system for handling film for the theme parks and what we call the film loop cabinet and a special projector that we built ourselves. And I had the opportunity to be with my dad when. He demonstrated the prototype that we built uh, to Walt, and this was at a time when film, the projectors in the parks were breaking down all the time, and film was breaking, and they just couldn't keep a, a good show going. Well, he basically, my dad and, and our shop to, together solved that problem. Then so we went to demonstrate it to Walt uh, after looking at it. My dad says to me, when we get in this room where the, where, where the machine is ready to go, he says, oh, okay, Don, turn it on. So I turned it on, and the film starts running. And Walt is mechanically inclined enough to see what's going on. And he just turned to my dad and put his, literally put his hand on my dad's shoulder and said, oh, this is real progress. Because he could see that now film could be used in the parks and it wasn't going to break break down all the time right uh, and we could get you know our projector could get 10,000 film runs I mean it would go until the die of the film faded uh, and and the projector isn't breaking down and what would bother Walt a lot was when something's broken is broken down uh, it, it's like a projector you got a blank screen and it's just it's ruining the story that he's trying to tell exactly. And, so he was, uh, and then the fact that it was automated, because he asked, could could circle circa rama be done in this manner? And at that time, there were eleven projectors in the theater, and they had three three projectionists changing reels of film uh, after every show, and so they put on a reel and run a show, and while that's running, they're rewinding the previous show's film. So anyway, it's got three, you got three men plus a lead man 
on two shifts. So you got eight people, eight people a day you're paying. And what my dad developed in our shop built, and we demonstrated to Walt, uh, didn't need an operator anymore. So it was a tremendous savings in labor costs and print costs and uh, repairs of projectors. So it was, it was, I'll use the word again, significant development. Well, Don, I, I tell you what, I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate you taking time today. The, the book is Walt Disney's Ultimate Inventor, The Genius of Ub Iwerks, and Disney Editions is who's publishing it. It's available at really any place books are sold, Amazon.com, BN.com, any place that you can, that you can log on and order the book. Don, I appreciate it. Thank you again for tonight. Oh, you're very, very welcome, Jim. You can find more information about the book, Walt Disney's Ultimate Inventor, The Genius of Ub Iwerks, at books.disney.com. Join me next time when I talk with Natalia Holt about the book Queens of Animation here on WRIR 97.3 FM. For a lights, camera, author, I'm Jim Juno. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine in my way. Zippity